Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles provided underneath the chairs, uh, you can find our passage this morning on page 223 and 224. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you what's happened so far up to this point in the story. Uh, because Ruth is a story. Uh, so far in chapter 1, uh, we learned that Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi and her husband Elimelech were Israelites that left the promised land with their two sons during a and lived in the land of Moab for 10 years. Uh, during that time, uh, their two sons took Moabite wives, and then all three men in the family died, leaving Naomi with two Moabite daughters-in-law. Naomi tries to send them away because of the Lord's bitter providence in her life, but Ruth alone clings to her and decides to forsake her homeland and her parents. Chapter 1, then, uh, is an amazing story of an unexpected conversion as Ruth chooses the promised land and Naomi's God over the familiarity of her upbringing, the safety of her parents' home in the land of Moab. It's also an example of the Lord using harsh and bitter circumstances to draw Naomi and Ruth back into the safety of his promises in the promised land. But the question that we are left with at the end of chapter 1 is what will become of this elderly woman and her foreign daughter-in-law? Will her family just go extinct with them? In chapter 2, there is a ray of hope. Ruth shows remarkable character as she gleans from the field according to Israelites or to Israel's law. And the author demonstrates uh, the sweet providence of the Lord in directing Ruth to the very field of a relative named Boaz, a distant relative of Naomi's husband that we didn't even know existed in chapter 1. Boaz blesses her and shows her incredible compassion as an extension of the Lord's care to her. Uh, he himself acts as a provider and protector over Ruth during the harvest. Uh, Boaz admires Ruth's diligence and commitment to Naomi, uh, who then reveals that Boaz is uh, a close relative. Uh, the chapter closes with the end of the harvest, and so the reader is then left wondering, how will Ruth and Naomi survive beyond the harvest? The questions from chapter 1 still loom large in the background. Will Naomi's family line go extinct, seeing as how she doesn't have a husband or a male heir, a son to care for her in her old age? Will Ruth ever be anything other than a foreign widow at the very bottom of society? Well, chapter 3 begins a new development in the story that uh, I think we can say has puzzled many Christians. Some of you perhaps have just been waiting for me to get to chapter 3 uh, in our study. At first glance, there appears to be uh, some immoral intent going on in this chapter. Uh, but in all actuality, it describes Ruth and Naomi taking a leap of faith in the promises of God and a vulnerable hope in Boaz. Uh, chapter 3 tells of an unexpected and to our ears a very unusual marriage proposal. Let's read our text together now to see what happens next in the story. Ruth 3, 
verses 1 through 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, that you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if He will redeem you, good, let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at His feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you, were, you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. You probably have a few questions after reading through this chapter. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you do. Uh, but I think as we go through the passage, you'll see that these events are nothing short of extraordinary. Uh, and I hope to answer uh, at least most of your questions as we go through. Uh, the main idea of this passage is this. Faith requires us to vulnerably place all our hope in our Redeemer. Faith requires us to vulnerably place all our hope in our Redeemer. And my prayer is that as we go through this story, you'll exercise the same kind of vulnerable and expectant hope in uh, the Redeemer that Boaz foreshadows, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three basic scenes in this chapter, and uh, if you're using the ESV, then they basically follow the three paragraphs. So I'm just going to have one point per paragraph. So in verses 1 through 5, uh, we see a marriage preparation. In verses 6 through 13, a marriage proposal. And then in verses 14 through 18, a marriage pending. So point one, a marriage preparation. A marriage preparation. 
that's, that's what Ruth and Naomi are up to at the beginning of the chapter, though it is mainly prompted by Naomi. And Naomi is a fascinating character throughout the book uh, to follow. In the beginning of the book, she is just devastated. She is deflated to the point that upon returning to Israel, uh, the town people hardly recognize her. They say, is this Naomi? Uh, and then she asks them not to call her Naomi, but to call her Mara, which means bitterness, uh, rather than her name, which means pleasant. And she said, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She prayed that the Lord would bless Ruth uh, when she tried to send her away back to Moab. Uh, Ruth clings to her. But then in chapter 2, we see that Naomi's prayer is actually answered, not in Moab, where we would expect, but in the promised land by Boaz through his provisions. Uh, and it's when Ruth tells Naomi that she was in Boaz's field that the gears begin to turn in Naomi's head. Uh, she recognizes Boaz not just as a kind man, but as a family member, meaning someone who could potentially redeem her. Uh, now, if you weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about uh, what is called leveret marriage, uh, the idea of a redeemer in Israel. Uh, and part of the purpose of this was because of the land and family being such an important part of the Lord's covenant with his people. Uh, remember, there are no realtors in Israel during that time because each family was given their land by the Lord himself. The land was to be passed down to their, their children through the generations. And one of the ways that the Lord protected the land from going into other people's hands was by instituting laws that allowed family members to uh, basically the opportunity to purchase back land that was loaned out in some way. There's also laws that uh, obligate family members uh, to seek justice on the behalf of deceased family members. Uh, another law is this leveret marriage. Uh, in the case of a death of a family member, uh, a family member, spe member specifically a brother-in-law, uh, would take the deceased's widow to provide an heir for the family to continue to uh, keep the family name going and to keep the land within the family. If you want to read about that specific law, it's found in Deuteronomy 25. Uh, but the point is that the people of Israel were obligated to care for their family members by redeeming them or their land. And the reason given is because the Lord has redeemed them as a people. He redeemed them out of Egypt and established them in the promised land. And so Israel as a people are to be like little redeemers to each other. This is the reason why Naomi's life seems so desperate in chapter 1. She has no male to protect her, no uh, son to care for her probably no more land at this point. That's why the discovery of Boaz as a potential redeemer is so important. Now in chapter 3, Naomi is no longer focused on herself, though. She's a mother, after all, and she wants Ruth to have a better life than what she can give her. And so the only way that she can make that happen is if Ruth finds a husband, which would not be easy since she is a Moabite and a widow. Moab was just historically an enemy nation to Israel. So Naomi takes it upon herself uh, to give Ruth boy advice. Uh, she basically says, isn't Boaz eligible for you? Seems like a good fit. Look at the way he has cared for you by protecting you and allowing you to stay with his female servants. Uh, don't delay any longer. Prepare to present yourself to him. 
So she tells Ruth to bathe herself, anoint herself with perfume, to go where he is uh, on the threshing floor. Uh, And then she tells him to uncover his feet, lay beside him, and then wait for him to make a move. Uh, And it's at this point that perhaps some of you might be wondering, what in the world do we make of these instructions? Um, Is this how we should go about finding a spouse? Uh, I think many of us, especially parents, would be reluctant to ever give advice like this to one of our children. Go lay down next to someone and just see what they do. Wait for them to make a move. Uh, That's the right instinct, by the way. Don't do that. Uh, Remember that Ruth is a historical story, uh, real events that happen to real people. So we need to be careful when drawing conclusions about what to take as an example for us. Uh, And there is much to commend in the book of Ruth, uh, but we need to do the hard work to figure out whether or not the author actually means for us to see it as an example or whether or not the author is just simply recording a series of events. So before I go into all the explanations of what's going on, uh, I want to at least say uh, this is not the Bible's blueprint uh, for relationships uh, or for finding a spouse. Uh, Don't follow Naomi's advice uh, unless you somehow find yourself back in time uh, in a strange land as a foreigner and a widow and you're given this advice. The initiative from Naomi uh, is totally out of character for her. Uh, In the beginning of Ruth, uh, she is simply self-pitying. She thought the Lord had taken everything from her, when in reality the Lord had provided an amazing daughter-in-law in in Ruth. Uh, She doesn't see how incredible Ruth is for uh, clinging to her. And then in chapter 2, Ruth is the one who is going out in the fields to provide for Naomi since there are no men around to do so. Uh, She moves from self-pity, though, Naomi does, uh, into becoming a provider herself in some way. And in seeking to provide for Ruth, she instructs her to present herself to Boaz for marriage. Uh, Naomi is hoping that the Lord will provide a husband in Boaz. Uh, That's what's going on. Uh, Now, we don't exactly know (laughs) what Naomi's specific intentions are, Uh, how Naomi thinks things will play out. Uh, But I think there is good reason to believe that she is hoping the Lord will provide lasting safety and security for Ruth. Uh, That's, I think, the key to understanding the events of this chapter. Uh, Naomi's not just arranging a one-night stand for Ruth. Uh, She's trying to arrange a husband, a home, a future in the land. And if we misunderstand this, then Ruth's and Boaz's actions will not be understood properly. So Naomi has Ruth prepare herself uh, the way a bride would in the hopes that Boaz would take her as his wife. And the way he has provided for her already and the fact that he's a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband, makes him an excellent candidate for her. Uh, So how can we just apply these first few verses to our lives? Uh, First, notice the amount of vulnerability that Ruth would need to have within herself in this instance in following this advice. Faith requires us to be vulnerable to God. Ruth puts everything on the line in following Naomi's advice. She risks being misunderstood by Boaz. She risks her reputation as an honorable woman, uh, which we read is uh, the reputation among the entire town. Uh, She puts herself at the mercy of Boaz, trusting that he's going to act in good faith. 
that she surrenders himself, herself to him. Oh, similarly, in the Christian life, real trust in God comes when we are vulnerable to God and to ourselves. It acknowledges that we can't save ourselves any more than Ruth can redeem herself. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and therefore are guilty of God's good and just punishment. We can't just make better choices. Uh, We need to be reborn. We need a resurrection, new hearts. And apart from Christ, we are spiritual foreigners. Uh, But Jesus, who Boaz prefigures, lovingly lays down his life uh, so that we can be saved. Uh, For those who put their trust in Christ, in his perfection, uh, as we stated earlier in the service on justification from our statement of faith, the Lord's righteousness is applied to us, and we are forgiven and given eternal life. Oh, friend, if you have never put your trust in Christ, consider his sacrifice and love. Consider giving your life over to him today. If you have questions about what that might mean for you, uh, please talk to me afterwards by the door. I would love to talk about what that's been like in my own life uh, and and talk through that with you. Uh, For Christians, we need the regular reminder to trust God daily. Uh, We need the reminder that so much of what happens in our lives is out of our control. Therefore, we must hold fast to His promises. We do that by speaking truth into each other's lives, by gathering weekly and confessing truths like we did earlier in the service. What are the promises from Scripture that you cling to when life is hard? Do you know where to locate them in the Bible? Are you prepared to show them to others, to encourage them who might be dealing with similar trials? A second point of application, we can rest in the assurance of Christ's love for us. Uh, the tensions in Ruth 3 are extremely high. Who knows what kind of anxiousness Ruth was feeling as she went down to the threshing floor. Uh, I'm thankful for our prayer service last Sunday. Our brother Adrian Salazar had a devotional in which he reminded us that we don't need to be worried about Christ's affection for us changing. We know His love for us because He laid His life down for us. Our faith may waver at times, but Christ's victory over sin and death is secure. So we can confidently rest in the assurance of Christ's love. The third point of application uh, can be seen from the transformation that Naomi makes uh, up to this point in the story. Uh, In the first two chapters, uh, we see that Naomi... While she clearly sees her bitter circumstances as from the Lord, uh, she is a little bit clueless to what the Lord is doing in her life through them. And like a fog that is lifted, as she sees signs of grace in the life of Ruth, she begins to then see what the Lord is doing. So friends, recognize that bitterness can sometimes blind us from what the Lord is doing in our lives. Beware of bitterness. Point two, a marriage proposal, verses 6 through 13, a marriage proposal. Uh, Ruth does exactly what Naomi instructs. She goes to the threshing floor where Boaz was. Uh, She watches him and waits while he's eating and drinking. And then after he goes and lays down, 
Uh, he goes to the other side of the field on the opposite side of the grain heap, which we, he would have worked on throughout the day. Uh, so the idea is he's separated from the people in a semi-private uh, place to get some rest. Uh, and it is there that Boaz finds quiet and peace uh, to lay down. And that's where Ruth comes, the text says, softly or quietly, uncovers Boaz's feet and lays down. Uh, now, to our ears, that this whole scene sounds like an evening of promiscuity. Uh, some have read the chapter that way, and after all, the threshing floor is, uh, is kind of known for that kind of activity. It was common for prostitution to occur uh, in places like the threshing floor. Uh, Ruth dresses herself up. She watches him secretly, doesn't reveal herself. And then she says things like, spread your wings, which sounds like a sexual innuendo of some kind. They talk some more. She stays for the night, leaves in the morning before they can recognize each other. But interpreting the text that way is, I think, a shallow misunderstanding of what's going on. Uh, once you see what is really going on, you'll see that Boaz and Ruth demonstrate remarkable self-control and integrity uh, with great humility and kindness towards one another. Uh, one of the reasons why people confuse the text this way is because of the act of uncovering Boaz's feet, because uh, it can sometimes be translated as uncovering one's legs or limbs. Uh, but there's no reason to think that this action is sexual. Uh, it could be that she uh, was simply just stirring him to wake him. Uh, but inevitably, he doesn't awake, and uh, the removing of the garment over his feet, uh, most likely from a cold wind, causes him to wake up eventually at midnight. Uh, once again, looking closer, I think it's clear that nothing happens between them throughout the night. Uh, the entire picture is one of honor shown towards each other, but here are just four concrete reasons why I think nothing happened in this interchange. So four subpoints if you're taking notes. Subpoint A. Ruth's appearance is never described, neither is Boaz ever attracted to her physically in the book of Ruth. Uh, you might be shocked to realize this, even in the last chapter, when Boaz shows how impressed he is of Ruth, it's her character, her hesed, her covenant loyalty to Naomi and to the Lord's promises. It's also fascinating to realize that uh, we just have no idea what Ruth looked like. Uh, we have no idea. Her physical appearance is never described. Uh, we get the impression that she's beautiful because her character is attractive and she's used so frequently as a shining example of faith. But we have no idea if she matches what the world views as physically attractive. Uh, all we really know is that she's younger than Boaz. Uh, by the way, she doesn't seek younger men. Well, Subpoint B, Boaz calls her daughter, not once, but twice. Uh, and this is not typically something or some way to address someone that you have a romantic encounter with. Uh, it's not the way that you speak to someone that you have had relations with. Uh, Boaz is amazingly respectful of Ruth. He sees her godliness, and rather than take advantage of her, he calls her daughter. It's an endearing term. It's loving and respectful. It's compassionate. And by calling her daughter, he is treating this Moabite widow like a child of God, like a family member. 
And the fact that Boaz calls her daughter shows that the point of this midnight meeting is not arousal, but arrangement. Subpoint C. Boaz understands her request and promises to follow through. Uh, so really, Naomi, I don't know if you noticed, only instructed Ruth to lay down and wait. Uh, but Ruth goes much further. Uh, she goes beyond what Naomi instructs. Uh, she asks Boaz to fulfill his duty as a redeemer, which means she's asking him to be her husband. Uh, again, much more than a sexual encounter, Ruth wants a lifelong commitment. And we know Boaz understood the implications of what she was asking because he said that he is not the only redeemer. Uh, in fact, there is another ahead of him in line, meaning a closer relative has the obligation before Boaz does. Uh, the other thing to note is that assuming there was some kind of promiscuity going on would just be, uh, it would completely discredit everything we know about Boaz up to this point. Uh, he's shown to be nothing other than a man of great honor and respect. Uh, on the contrary, Boaz shows great admiration for Ruth, who makes herself incredibly vulnerable to him. Uh, he also shows great respect to his fellow clansmen in making sure he checks with the other Redeemer first before doing anything with Ruth. And so Boaz makes her a promise uh, that he will bring up the matter to the other Redeemer, that she will be redeemed one way or the other. Uh, he will either ensure that she is by the other Redeemer, or he will do it himself. Uh, he pledges these things before engaging in any kind of inappropriate activity. Uh, his self-control and patience here are just through the roof. Uh, as surely as the Lord lives, he says, he will do these things. Subpoint D, he calls her a worthy woman and protects her reputation. Uh, last week I made this point that Ruth in the Old Testament is the quintessential example of the godly woman. Uh, for uh, example, in the Hebrew order of the Old Testament, the books are arranged slightly differently. Uh, Ruth comes right after Proverbs. So think about the way Proverbs ends with that beautiful description of the godly woman, the excellent wife, then who is on the next very page described as someone who characterizes chesed is Ruth. Uh, then the way that Boaz calls her a worthy woman or a woman of strength uh, is in fact the same term that we translate as excellent wife. And there's only two other places where that phrase is used in the Old Testament. It's Proverbs 12.4 and Proverbs 31, verse 10. Boaz basically is calling Ruth a Proverbs 31 woman. As a side note, notice that in chapter 2, verse 1, the author refers to Boaz as a worthy man. Uh, these two are clearly a match for each other. Uh, but Ruth's reputation is one of the reasons why Boaz instructs her to wait for the night. Uh, there's first a safety concern with, her, with sending her away in the middle of the night uh, out in the fields. But I think there's also the possibility that uh, Ruth is seen and accused of as playing the part of a prostitute. Uh, she's out in strange hours of the night around the threshing floor. She's a Moabite. Uh, it wouldn't be hard to draw conclusions falsely that way. But, but Boaz recognizes how precious her character and her reputation are, 
And so he protects her by instructing her to stay longer, even though he, he must wait until morning to go after the other redeemer. The key that really unlocks this whole passage is Ruth's request in verse 9. But look what it says. He said, who are you? Now notice he doesn't uh, recognize her under the cover of darkness. Another reason why we know that uh, seduction is not exactly what's going on here. She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, there are layers of meaning to this statement. First thing to know is that the, the word for wings uh, can also be translated as corners of your garment, corners of, corner of one's garment. Um, that's indicated if you're using an ESV in the footnote. Um, but if we were to swap the word wings for corner or edge of your garment, uh, it might sound like uh, a pretty intimate re uh, request or invitation. Spread your garment over me. Uh, but the fact is that image is used to communicate marriage. Uh, it, it is used as a symbol of taking one uh, under your protection. Just listen to the way the word is used in Ezekiel 16, verse 8, as the Lord describes his relationship with his covenant people, Israel. Ezekiel 16, 8. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So that expression is used to describe a marriage union. Uh, this request from Ruth following her uncovering his feet uh, provide rich symbolism in her marriage proposal. Uh, second, the word can also be described as wings, uh, as is translated for us, which do imply protection and care, uh, just as in a marriage proposal. Uh, Ruth is asking for Boaz to provide and protect and to cherish her as her husband, to redeem her the way that the Lord has redeemed Israel. But there's another layer still. And that's the reason I think our translators chose wings instead of the corner of your garment. The reason is because it recalls to us uh, the verse from the previous chapter, chapter 2, verse 12. It's what Boaz says to Ruth. After commending her for clinging to Naomi and leaving her native land, coming to an unknown people, he says this, The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Uh, we're meant to see that Ruth wants to take refuge uh, under the wings of the Almighty, as she already has through Boaz's provision through the harvest. She wants to remain under his wings for the rest of her life. She sees the Lord's provision over her through Boaz, and of course, by identifying him as a redeemer, she implies that it's not just a good idea, but part of his duty as an Israelite. It's part of his living in obedience to God's law in the land of promise. It's remarkable knowledge and faith from the part of Ruth. Oh, friends, how can we apply this marriage proposal to our lives? First, look for, if you are one who is single, and I don't mean that you're dating, but I mean you're not married, uh, look for spiritual compati compatibility, not physical attraction. 
But compare Proverbs 31, the description of the Proverbs 31 woman, with descriptions in Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 9. What's interesting to see is that Lady Folly is characterized as an enticing and attractive figure that leads to death. But the Proverbs 31 woman is clothed with dignity. Ruth and Boaz are the epitome of love in its purest form. They're drawn to each other passionately, and in a moment that probably could have led easily to sexual immorality, they act in the best interest of each other. Their integrity is seen in the way they exercise self-control to wait. Ruth goes beyond Nomi's advice using this covenant language to Boaz. She expects him to, not to take advantage of her, but to honor her. And Boaz even after rejoicing in Ruth's decision not to go after younger men, he still thinks of Naomi and the unnamed Redeemer. I don't know if there is another example of a more uh, pure and godly romance in the Old Testament. So friend, if you are uh, single, uh, then prioritize this kind of God-centeredness as you look for a spouse. Uh, I'm sure that Physical desire was present on that night. Uh, I've gone at length to show that that's not what the author is trying to communicate. That's not the purpose of recording these events. Um, But it was likely there. Uh, It would have been easy to act on and just think for a moment. uh, Boaz could have done whatever he wanted and gotten away with it. Uh, Boaz was well respected among the community. Who would believe a Moabite woman over him? And yet both of them prioritized godliness Uh, over and above their own desire. Uh, Doing that paves the way for a love and relationship of the purest kind. Uh, So aspire for this kind of relationship. Uh, Real and lasting love says, I will not engage in sexual activity until the proper time because I love God and I love this person more than I love myself. So exercise self-control over selfishness. Perhaps you're not in a relationship at the moment, but uh, you want to be. One piece of advice I often give is uh, to look for someone who motivates you to be more godly because you don't want to disappoint them. Uh, Marriage can be at times like a a sanctification co-op in which you're both helping each other to become more like Christ. Uh, Therefore, prioritize godliness through the dating process. Uh, We should expect and encourage godliness from each other the same way Ruth and Boaz expect godliness from each other. Point three, a marriage pending, verses 14 through 18, a marriage pending. Uh, So the proposal has been sent by Ruth. She was not rejected, but she must wait to see if her hopes come to fruition. Uh, She honors Boaz and trusts he's sincere to her. Uh, she She remains through the night, but still leaves early enough so that they don't Uh, recognize one another. But before she leaves, Boaz uh, does not let her go empty-handed. He gives her six measures of barley to take with her uh, back to her mother-in-law. And we don't exactly know how much six measures is. I'm guessing it's a healthy amount. Uh, But I think the point is that it communicates care for her family member as well. Uh, It may also be that Boaz is leaving this gift as a kind of promise that he's going to follow through on his word. The reason he gives in verse 17 is that she would have something to give Naomi. 
Boaz has been very mindful of Ruth's mother-in-law and how Ruth has, looks out, has, has looked out for her. Uh, even here at the end of the harvest, with a marriage proposal on the table with Ruth, he is mindful of Naomi. So he sends her away with food, and it's a beautiful indication that Boaz does not just uh, think about himself or Ruth, but he thinks about others as well. Much like when Ruth goes out in chapter 2 and then returns to Naomi, Naomi, I'm guessing, once again, would have had lots of anxiousness hanging on pins and needles, wondering how Ruth would return to her, not knowing how things would go, whether or not she would be taken advantage of, uh, would she have been exposed or publicly ridiculed, would she be rejected, will she return a wife, will she be safe returning the next morning. Ruth returns yet again with joyful hope and returns with a gift from Boaz. Unlike the way Naomi left Bethlehem full and returned empty, Ruth leaves empty-handed and returns full. So Naomi is hopeful. She tells Ruth to wait to see how things turn out. I'm guessing they were, their excitement was growing over the matter. Uh, they were probably excited about the potential and the promise and Naomi steadies her to, rem- to remind her that uh, it's not a done deal yet. There is another redeemer in town who may decide to redeem her instead of Boaz. Uh, but we're rooting for him. Uh, I think in, any, in either case, we see a hope from the Lord in providing what we thought wasn't even possible in chapter 1. Uh, but we are rooting for Boaz. So the final tension that we're left with at the end of this chapter is what will happen at the gates. Will the other redeemer redeem Ruth, or will it be the worthy man, Boaz? All Ruth can do is have faith. There's a striking similarity between chapters 2 and 3 in Ruth. Both chapters involve Ruth going out seeking provision of some kind, and Boaz providing abundantly for her. Both involve the activities around harvest, Both include a great deal of dialogue between Ruth and Boaz. In both chapters, Ruth and Boaz are shown to be worthy individuals characterized by chesed, covenant loyalty. They truly appear appear to be a match made in heaven, we could could say. But in chapter 2, Boaz takes great initiative to provide for Ruth abundantly, who's uh, completely humbled because she recognizes She is at the the very bottom of society, being a a foreign widow with no rights. And yet the Lord provided for her through Boaz. In chapter 3, it's reversed. Naomi and Ruth step out in generous faith, and Boaz responds in humility to Ruth's great kindness. That is not going after younger men. Lastly, chapter 2 takes place during the long hours of the day, whereas chapter 3 takes place during the dark hours of the night. As readers, we are left hanging on the edge of our seats, waiting to see what will happen next. The chapter closes with hope that Boaz will be true to his word. It's a reminder that faith always involves waiting with hopeful expectation. That's not too different from our position as Christians today. We've received the promise of salvation in Christ and the seal of the Holy Spirit, and yet we look forward to the consummation of Christ and His bride, the church. We long for the day that He returns and brings us 
home to himself, to the rooms that he's preparing for us in his father's house. Only our hope is far more certain than Ruth's and Naomi's because Christ has already sealed his promise to us by his blood. What should be our posture as we wait for the fulfillment of these promises? It should be one of vulnerability and confident expectation of our Redeemer. Let's pray.